some of the best from Nashville today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Erica Grotto. I don't know about you, but I'm finally getting back in the groove after a wonderful annual conference in Nashville. I saw some old friends, met some new ones, and checked the Grand Ole Opry off my bucket list, which was pretty cool. But to have an event of that scale takes a lot of work and help. And today I'm sharing interviews with two of the organizations that contributed to a great conference, Russell Investments and Paymedics. But first, let's see what's happening in healthcare finance news. Here's HFMA Senior Editor Nick Hutt and HFMA Policy Director Sean Stack. Hello, everyone. We're discussing some breaking news with big financial implications for hospitals. Namely, CMS has released its plan for compensating hospitals for what the federal court system, most notably the Supreme Court, deemed to be almost five years worth of underpayments in the 340B drug pricing program. There's going to be $9 billion in lump sum payments doled out to about 1,650 hospitals that participate in 340B. That's all according to a proposed rule from CMS. Sean, that's a lot of money, indicates what the stakes have been in this whole legal fight. What do you think about the plan and and how we got to where we are today? Thanks for setting me up there, Nick. Yeah, I feel like trumpets should be playing. There should be a marching band roaming the streets after this announcement, but then a big wah-wah at the end of it, right? So, So as background, in a 2018 payment rule, the Trump administration lowered Medicare payments for prescription drugs in the program by roughly about 30%. And the lower payments were in place until 2022. And at that time, the Supreme Court ruled in June of that year that CMS didn't have the authority to lower the 340B reimbursement because regulators didn't survey hospitals appropriately about their drug acquisition costs. So the ruling left CMS with a hole of roughly, I think around 10.5 billion in underpayments. And then regulators estimate affected 340B providers have already received about 1.5 billion of that money through the higher default payment rate that was put in place after the 340B payment was vacated. So very glad that there's finally some resolution that's moving forward in this remedy proposed rule. But at the end of the day, which is no surprise, I think, to you and I, Nick, or, and most people, CMS is pretty much held harmless in their unjustified reduction to the 340B payment, right? So this will all be budget neutral. So that means that there will be a 0.5% reduction in non-drug items on the OPPS over the next 16 years. So we'll see that 0.5% reduction through all the updated proposed reimbursement rules on OPPS for the next 16 years. That's something we'll be dealing with as a repercussion of this settlement and this remedy. So not surprising, but I still feel, as well as a lot of my colleagues in policy, that this should not have been distributed in a a budget-neutral manner. It should have been non-budget-neutral. I don't know. How do you feel about that, Nick? Would you agree? Or I mean, I, I know the reality is is very different to guard the Medicare trust fund. Yeah, certainly. I think a lot of us saw it coming, the budget neutrality aspect of it. But in principle, it certainly seems like you're right that this money should have been a make good with no strings attached in terms of the budget neutrality. You know, it's a lengthy time frame. At least they're not clawing back all that money. 
$7.8 billion, I think, is the sum that's going to be taken back over that 16-year period. So at least they're not doing that over just a few years. But kind of like the Medicare payment sequester, which almost feels like it's going to be in place permanently at this point, this is going to be a drag on revenue over a long period. That repayment amount to hospitals is inclusive of any additional beneficiary coinsurance, which is something that we've been talking about for the last couple of years. So hospitals are not allowed to collect any additional coinsurance from the Medicare recipients or the Medicaid members. So that kind of takes the patient out of the mix. So that repayment is all inclusive of that additional beneficiary coinsurance, right? It is. Yeah. Great point to bring up. And I think that part of it makes makes sense, certainly to me. Yes. But as far as the, the clawback over that 16-year stretch, you know, I've used the phrase double whammy because it's very possible that in some upcoming year, HHS is going to again bring down the reimbursement rate for 340B acquired drugs. As you noted, the Supreme Court suggested they can do that if they follow proper procedure and base any such reduction on survey findings regarding hospitals' drug acquisition costs. Now, the methodology of any survey could be vulnerable to legal challenges, but that's an issue for another time. But you could have a lower 340B reimbursement rate in place and simultaneously this reduction in payments for non-drug items and services. So that could be a scenario that further puts a financial squeeze on hospitals. Yep, I agree. And I think that the word out there is from studies that have been conducted by different agencies and different consultants is that 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 new rate will not be in the area of ASP minus 22.5%. It's going to be much more significant. So it'll be much lower than the negative 22.5%. Is that what you're hearing as well, Nick? Yeah, I think that they conducted a survey back in in early 2020, right around the start of the pandemic. And I think they were getting ready to implement a rate of somewhere in the range of ASP minus 28, 29%. Uh, Yeah, what I was hearing was it was close, yeah, close to negative 30%. Yep. And they chose not to do that in in part realizing that hospitals were going through a a pretty severe strain during the pandemic, operationally and financially. But yeah, ASP minus 22.5%, which was the rate for 2018 through uh, most of 2022. That could almost seem mild in comparison to what could be coming down the road. We've got to wait and see. Sean, anything to add on this whole deal? Uh, Again, the ramifications are pretty significant and stakeholders have a couple of months to comment to CMS. No, I I certainly will be working with our members on a comment letter from HFMA um, and probably will be touching base with you on this one too, Nick, and getting your input here. But just a reminder that there are two addendums out there with this proposed remedy. Addendum AAA to the proposed rule is is the list of 340B hospitals and the lump sum payment they would receive if the rule is finalized. And addendum BBB, the proposed rule, is a list of hospitals enrolled after January 1st of 2018 that would be exempt from the 0.5% adjustment to the OPPS update under CMS's proposal. So make sure you check those out and make sure you know that you are or aren't on that list before you comment so you know where you stand in this remedy. Wouldn't you agree, Nick? Yeah, great suggestion. We can include a link to the CMS webpage where they said you'll be able to access those data files. We can include that in the show notes. That'll be good information to have on file for sure. Great. Hey, thanks everyone. We'll definitely be staying on top of the story for you. Thanks, Nick. When's the last time your organization revisited its investment strategy? If it wasn't recently, my first guest would tell you that this interview is your signal. 
Lisa Schneider is the Managing Director and Head of Client Solutions for Russell Investments. We met up in Nashville to talk about what healthcare organizations should be thinking about right now. Liquidity and access to operating capital have become key issues for healthcare organizations. How would you say this is impacting investment strategy decisions? So as we continue to see operating margin pressures and difficulties in debt issuance, we've seen many healthcare organizations turning to their balance sheet reserves as a source of liquidity. And for organizations that have always viewed the role of their long-term operating assets as a source of growth or long-term growth for the organization, they're now rethinking the investment strategy such that it is aligned with a shorter-term time horizon to support financial resiliency. And that change from structuring your strategy for long-term growth to short-term or medium-term necessitates a change in risk tolerance and a change in the return assumption that you're looking at, and that's gonna require a rethinking of how you structure your investment strategy. Most healthcare organizations tend to split their investment pools into two different segments, liquid operating capital and long-term investments. Have you seen any alternative approaches that still meet the liquidity demands, but also allow organizations to make longer, more illiquid investment allocations that may have higher returns? Yes, absolutely. We are starting to see organizations think about how to align their capital resources or their balance sheet assets to support the potential liquidity needs of the organization. And for some, this may mean structuring those balance sheet assets such that in addition to just having short-term operating capital and a long-term pool, they now add what some are calling an intermediate term pool. So instead of just having very short term and very long term, they create a more intermediate term pool. And that is there to provide resources if needed to address potential liquidity needs that may come up over the next three to five years. And the investment strategy for this pool would then be a bit more conservative than what you might have for the long-term pool, which a long-term pool may be heavily tilted towards equities, heavily tilted towards private capital, things that may be more illiquid than what they would want. Structuring the intermediate term pool then allows them to have balance sheet assets that then serve as both a source of resiliency for the organization as well as a source of long-term growth and an investment strategy that is appropriate to support both needs at the same time so that they don't have to think about, you know, is the role of my balance sheet assets just resiliency or long-term growth? It's meeting the needs of those competing objectives at the same time. So I think a lot of healthcare organizations probably are reassessing their strategies right now, but for those who it might not necessarily be at the forefront of their mind, what are the things that, that should trigger that in a health system? You know, we tell all clients, and particularly our healthcare clients, the two times when you really want to review your investment strategy are if there have been inherent changes in your organization and your organization's financial plan, or if there have been changes in capital market assumptions. And right now, we've seen changes on both sides of that. So on the first side, you know, think about health system financing. That requires a balancing act across operating strategy, financing strategy, and the investment strategy. 
And whenever there's pressure on any one of these three pillars, you need to reassess all three of them in conjunction and make sure they're all operating to support each other. And in 2022, we had sort of a perfect storm where all three of these came under pressure. You had negative operating margins, you had difficulty issuing additional debt, and you had a challenging investment environment where both equities and bonds were penalized. So that in and of itself would create an environment where healthcare systems should be thinking about their investment strategy to make sure the strategy that they're pursuing with their investments aligns with both their operating strategy and their financing strategy. Now, if you have a system out there that somehow still has positive operating margins, maybe doesn't even need to issue debt, so they think they're fine, we would say they, this is still a good time to rethink your investment strategy or at least review it because the rising interest rate environment has created changes in the long-term expectations for capital markets. So for example, the expected 10-year return on bonds has now risen dramatically as interest rates have risen. So that creates the opportunity for organizations just to take a look at what their strategy is and make sure that it is aligned with supporting their financial plan and getting the highest return they can with the least amount of risk. So it sounds like if you're not thinking about it, then you probably should be. You should be. Mm -hmm. So I hope everyone listening is listening and is rethinking their strategy here. So uh, Lisa Schneider, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Russell Investments is a leading global investment solutions firm with a focus on nonprofit healthcare organizations. For nearly 40 years, Russell Investments has worked closely with hospitals and healthcare systems to ensure their investment programs are aligned to support their enterprise-wide financial objectives. They provide outsourced CIO solutions, as well as consulting and investment implementation services to healthcare organizations of all sizes and levels of complexity. Learn more at russellinvestments.com. One of the great things about recording in person is that you have a few minutes to settle in and chat. And before I even sat down with Paymedic CEO Tom Policelli in Nashville, we got to talking about a recent news story about patient payment. He says it's no surprise that there are so many of these stories because the topic is confusing for patients and the industry hasn't done a great job of explaining or simplifying it. The result is patients who plan their care around the cost. Paymedics is working to simplify things for healthcare organizations and patients. When we talk about health equity from a financial standpoint, we're typically talking about uninsured patients, patients with Medicaid. When you talk about it, you really focus on the insured patients. Tell me about, about how that is, is different and presents a different challenge. Well, I mean, it is, as you just said, it's important to realize that it includes the insured patients. Oftentimes it is the, when we talk health equity, we're talking access to care. People think like, where are the clinics? And they don't think of the financial side. And when they do think financials, they tend to think of the uninsured and the Medicaid population. So often left out is this insured population that you're talking about. And there's been uh, several surveys, including some that we've put out, uh, that show that between about 38 and 43 percent of the people with employer-provided health insurance, so private insurance, that the most desired patients in any health system, about 40 percent of these people are delaying or avoiding getting care, have done it in the last year due to financial concerns. 
And before we started recording here, you were telling me about uh, a patient who was proud to have planned some pretty rough health care. Do you want to tell that story? Yes, he, he was pleased because he managed to replace both of his hips in one year. And therefore, he came in under his out-of-pocket max, and he did a great thing in his mind. And what that underscores is what every single health system has seen is a seasonality to surgeries like hip replacements and things like that, where people don't do it in the beginning of the year. They wait until they've met their out-of-pocket, and they do it in the fourth quarter. So from a capacity perspective uh, on the provider side, you have empty rooms in the first quarter and scheduling problems at the end of the year. And that is clinically nuts uh, that people would be waiting for something they need to get. Operationally, it creates mayhem on the, on the system side. And financially, it doesn't make sense either. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And it, it seems like a very rough situation for the patient, just the waiting. And, and who knows, depending on what your, your condition is, it can worsen in that time. You could be playing exactly. a risky game there. As you were talking about COVID, before our official recording here, we've seen now, as a society, what happens when people delay getting care that they really should have. They show up sicker, and that doesn't do their health any good. It costs a lot more for them and for the system overall. It's nothing but bad. If you know that you need something, you should get it addressed and uh, delay is bottom line costly. And that's another issue with the financial side of health inequity, is that when people feel concerned, then they're not getting the care, they're delaying, it gets worse. And what we've also seen, there's been a raft of additional studies coming out, that the mere stress of having to think about the financial side for the consumers actually worsens their health. So, I mean, it's just, you know, bad be getting bad be getting bad on this. So that's kind of the part of the issue from my perspective is that what we've done is that we're treating parts of the problem in different ways. We're not taking a systemic approach. And so each of the parts, like the health system does what it's trying to do and the provider practice is doing what it's trying, each trying to optimize their own little part. What you find is that when you're optimizing subsystems, this is gonna get geeky here, you're sub-optimizing the whole system. Right, and you're making it a mess, and that's what we've accidentally done. So what's the way out of this? What are providers who are listening, what are they to do? How do you start to work your way through these, especially if you have systems in place that you might be tempted to start detangling or just pull the plug on completely? I would encourage caution on the rapid unplugging of anything, just because a lot of these, uh, even the point solutions that were put in, they're put in to try to at least deal with a part of the problem. And hospitals are, have financial pressures today, much worse than they did in a year or so ago. So unplugging sounds dangerous to me. However, supplementing with something that, that can start to pull away from this problem is, is the right course of action. For me, I think that the right thing is to step back and take this system-wide view of it. I'm hoping that a lot of health systems are listening and taking note about some of these issues because I think I, I, I doubt it's something they're not aware of and not thinking about, but in midst of all of these other challenges, I think anything that's really going to make things better for the patient, better for your bottom line is, is a good thing. I, I think hospital systems right now have felt like they're stuck between two bad decisions. One tough path for a hospital to go down right now is to say, let's just provide the care, 
and we'll try to click what we can on the back end. That's scary financially. The other path is to say, we can't just hope we get paid on the back end. We need to collect up front. We need to get as much money as we can up front. Unfortunately, that second path is creating health inequity because people who don't have the money and a lot of people in this country don't have access to credit, even people with insurance, right? Again, 40% of the people with employer-provided health care are avoiding getting the care they need because they're worried how they're going to pay for it. So those hospitals are taking that second path, are inadvertently creating health inequity, and they're also not putting heads in beds, right? And the employer is still paying 80% of it, but consumers worried about their own 20% are not coming in, and therefore the hospital is not getting the 80% either. So that those two tough choices that hospitals have felt they're stuck you know, picking A or B, the reality is there is a third choice that is dealing with, as we're talking about, dealing with this more systemically and getting all of those people in there, getting the care they need it when they need it in the hospital out of the bad debt banking and billing businesses. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Today, you are responsible for the headaches, cost, and risk of collecting patient out-of-pocket charges. Tomorrow, Paymedics is. Learn more at paymedics.com. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Additional reporting is by Nick Hutt and Sean Stack. Linda Chandler does our sound editing and was in charge of production on site in Nashville. Brad Dennison is the director of content. Our president and CEO is Ann Jordan. It's not too early to start thinking about the 2024 annual conference in Las Vegas. That's right, we're going back to Vegas. So mark your calendars and shine up your Elvis glasses. Until then, you can get everything you need right here on the podcast and hfma.org. The cool menthol stylings of Nick.